Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. We forgot to say it the other day, but Happy New Year. Well, it wasn't the New Year yet, Connor. I know, but we were talking to people like it was going to be the New Year. Future Us knew that it was going to be the New Year. That's true. Future Us didn't mess that one up. That was bad. I, I, I should have said that. So we will... Um, oh, yeah. Well, before we get to all, all things SEC Bowl recap, we're obviously going to talk a bunch of national title game stuff. Um, UCF no longer being the national champs. Very important topic of discussion. What is your New Year's resolution? Um, I want to be pretty enough again where people can't make fun of me online. That's a really ambitious goal in this day and yeah. age in the internet yeah. because you can be really, really pretty and still get made fun of. There are holes in, in, uh, in the plan. I'll, I will say that. It's definitely a flawed plan. Is the hole just being very close to a lot of Chick-fil-A's? Oh, that is, I was going to say just being too vain, but yeah, it's also the Chick-fil-A. That's so good. So yeah. much Chick-fil-A on the way down to Miami. Oh, gosh, I love me some Chick-fil-A. And I, while, my, okay, so my new, new Year's resolution is to try more new things. I want to try like a new thing once a week. Um, yeah, you don't have enough uh, hobbies. That's the thing about you. I have a ton of hobbies. What are you talking it about? Was, it was definitely sarcasm, Connor. Okay, that was a good read by me. Um, yeah, I want to try more new things, like just joining a random bell choir, joining a bowling league, doing stuff to get outside my comfort zone, and, you know, see where it goes. Do just new things, people. Two. Yeah, I mean, one one new thing a week. I think that's a don't good goal. Don't start playing frisbee golf, or we're going to end this entire friendship and, yeah, and podcast. That's fair. I'll let you hold me to that. Uh, before we get to everything... All things postseason SEC talk. Got to talk to you about Ticket City. Oh, we're also going to talk about some some ticket stuff, by the way, uh, for the national championship. Some accommodation issues that are really, really going to be a thing on Monday night. We, you did a lot of homework for that. There are some yeah. crazy numbers in here. A lot of information. You're going to want to stick around for that. But before we get to all that. Our friends at Ticket City are going to try and hook you up the national championship. If you're still trying to get tickets right now, trying to get those last-minute seats, you got all your other travel accommodations figured out, you're figuring out, how am I going to get into the stadium? Do so at Ticket City. As you know, we are still partnering with them. Uh, they continue to be a leader in the college football space, especially when it comes to college football games. Or maybe this weekend you're going to an SEC basketball game, doing something like that, because there are other sports besides football, apparently, so I've been told. Whatever, that's the word. You don't say that. Yeah. Um, but you're going to use that promo code as we always give you CMBF10. You're going to get 10% off. That's CMBF10. Get 10% off your tickets today. Whether it's for the national championship, any other game that you're going to see in 2019, by the way, still getting used to saying that. Yeah, make sure you do so on Ticket City. Fiesta Bowl, big time. Big time ticket in the area. It looks like it, that place was rocking. You have a very big smile on your face because your beloved UCF Knights went down. The 25-game winning streak is over at the hands of LSU. Ended up being a really good game. And I think the game that we had said coming in was going to be the most exciting bowl game of bowl season. I think it lived up to the billing. But the takes were flying after this one. This was maybe more fun for me than the actual Orange Bowl. It was awesome. I thought you'd yeah. say that. I thought you'd I say mean, that. I mean, I just, my hatred for UCF has just grown so much. Just so much. So I was pretty nervous early on. I was really, really worried that LSU, they fell behind 14-3. There was like a targeting call every third play of the game, or every third play. I, I was not not feeling great early, because I would have to sign off Twitter for a full year. Mm-hmm. Oh, at least. A one-year suspension. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, but how, however, our boy, 
Coach O coming through in the clutch. It was fantastic. And Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow, what he did after getting that hit, which, by the way, I you know I understand the whole like defenseless player thing. That that situation, it's it's kind of inevitable. It's really dangerous. It's why quarterbacks in those spots they often just get out of the way and try and avoid injury because you are really susceptible. You're not a defenseless player, um, so I didn't necessarily have a problem with the hit. I had a problem with the taunting afterwards. The guy that was that, yeah. stood over Joe Burrow. Um, that to me obviously was was ridiculous, but. Go figure that it takes that moment where LSU was down 14-3 to in this game. And we thought LSU was going to come out really strong. I mean, we thought they were going to have the motivation. We know that, that Coach O, his teams typically throughout this season, you know, in, in atmospheres away from LSU, they've really come out strong and ready to go. And that wasn't the case. And go figure that it took that play for LSU to sort of wake up. And Joe right. Burrow after that was dynamic. And I think that I, for all the talk about you know, we were going to debate the, you know, the, the talent narrative and, and how each of these teams were going to stack up. And I think we saw, you know, LSU ended up having over 300 more yards than UCF. Right. And I think that you, you make the case that, that LSU controlled the line of scrimmage. I thought Nick Brissett was going to have an even bigger day than he did, but still had a nice day. It was a huge day for Joe Burrow. And I, yeah. I can't believe just the toughness to be able to come into that game where that cut that I, I think it was can't remember, I think it was Brody Miller who tweeted it out after the game, a picture of that cut that he had on his neck from taking that hit. And it's like, dude came in and just balled after that, threw four the touchdown passes. And he had the perfect tweet after where SportsCenter uh, had the video tweet of um, it, it basically saying, like, keep, keep that head on a swivel. And Joe Burrow quote tweets it and says, that's all right, I'll take the four TDs and the dub. LSU fans, y'all have got yourself a quarterback. Yeah, and, and he's such a... The blue-collar mentality I feel like he brings to that, that team and that fan base is such a perfect match. It's just such a perfect match. It is. I would love to also hear you say "ite" again. Ite. Um, no, but, I mean, he was, it was incredible the whole game. I was surprised how much they ran him. That, that really surprised me. It was like it was a, a Nick Fitzgerald called offense. that was Last game of, of the nuts. season. Can't hold anything back. Well, he also had, I guess, I mean, in the A&M game, he had 29 carries for over 100 yards. So maybe he's the best dual threat quarterback in the SEC. I don't know. Regardless, they were really impressive. I was concerned that the, that LSU was not owning the line of scrimmage up front, like early on in that game, and that just they wore UCF down. It was a very impressive showing by them. Like as obviously as the game wore on, especially in the third and fourth quarter. But early it wasn't on, a trenches game though. It, Devin White, I think, even said that it wasn't really a trenches game. It was right. more of you know getting the playmakers involved on the outside. Not not like a seven on seven thing, but it was more of where, you know, Joe Burrow, what he was able to do through the air was what right. was the reason LSU won that game. And if this was just going to be your typical, like, LSU is just going to try and hammer it, I'm right. not sure that LSU wins that game, which is kind of weird uh, yeah. to say. But I, I think that game flow, credit Steve Ensminger for recognizing that they were, they were going to have a mismatch on the outside all day. And they were going to be able to go over the top. As much as LSU's secondary was completely depleted oh by gosh. game's end, I mean, they were really able to take advantage of some mismatches by UCF. And I think whatever argument, though, that you had coming into this game, it was kind of entrenched in, in many ways. And, and I know that UCF fans are going to say, oh, you know, we didn't have Mackenzie Milton. And that's true. And LSU, if they had lost, they would have said, oh, we were out nine of 11 defensive starters. That's also true. Those things are both true. But yeah. I think those things just kind of cancel each other out. They should, at least. I, I just thought it was amazing that afterwards, the people that were so upset on UCF's side, there's like, well, you know, we didn't have our quarterback out. And, and we like we only lost by eight. You're saying we can't hang with, with the SEC. And it was like, first off, 
That game was not as close as the score said late. They UCF scored late, to their credit. But after they went up 14-3, LSU took over in that game and made a lot of mental mistakes. So that game could have been put out of reach a lot earlier. And, you know, when you when you bring up the argument, especially I, was, I wasn't shocked to see UCF fans do this, but when you bring up the argument of, you know, we have what who should have won the Heisman Trophy, Mackenzie Milton, our best players, out for the entire game, NFL draft quarterback, like that that shocked me. Somebody calling him an NFL ready quarterback. But when he's out, you know, for the entire game, like it would have been different, we would have beat them. LSU had nine defensive starters out and still outgained you by three hundred yards. Like that's your that's your bread and butter, your offense. Yeah, I don't like the excuse thing no. for and we'll get to this with Georgia too. I, I'm not big on excuses in bowl games. I'm just not. I think you've got a month to prepare, you know, mm-hmm. the, there are you, you deal with the circumstances that you have. Yeah, it could have been a different game with Mackenzie Milton, sure. And it also, like I said, could have been a different game with with the secondary in place for LSU. Um, I think that some of the reaction to this game, we talk about Mackenzie Milton, and you know, obviously we, we want a speedy, speedy recovery for somebody yeah. who has been such an integral part of the college football story in the last two years, but I hated what he said on Instagram, yeah. where he's saying that Florida should be coming to UCF for a two-for-one. That's just not the way the college football works, and until you understand the financials of it, you're really not going to really get that point across. It's not as simple as, oh, we had a better record than you, therefore we should all of a sudden have Power 5 teams foaming at the mouth to play us. That's just not the way that it works. So, you know, obviously, you know, some maturity will will take, it'll take some time to be able to understand why that comment really made no sense whatsoever. You would think so, but I don't know, because the environment and culture they, they have as a fan base and as a team, I don't know if they will learn that. Um, but it's it's the misguided argument of we're a top ten program. You don't you don't make those kind of offers. Like we shouldn't be accepting those kind of offers because we're a top ten program. You're not a top ten program. You're a top ten team over the last two years. It's a very big difference. The UCF punter who clapped back at you on oh, Twitter. Man. Why don't you share that interaction for the people? I mean, I I made a very um, emphatic point up front that I was not going to. I was going to be very petty. And relentless you? In, no. in talking trash about UCF because we'd heard it all year. Now keep in mind, my first interaction with UCF fans was not a good one way back in the day in like March, where they came at me on Twitter and like they just like, and Danny White he he stokes the fire, man. Like UCF, oh yeah, absolutely, go get him. Like and the stuff that said people are not super nice on the internet. Um, but when I made the post, the very last post of the day, because because Georgia lost, and all it really was was the fact that I had. A meme that I, w- I forgot to post, and I was gonna I was gonna send it out there, and it was a pretty simple <laughs> picture of their mascot. It just said "Who's CF?" and he was like sad and pathetic. It's the only team you guys can talk about. And you're an SEC site. And I was like, well, first off, the UCF punter said this. The UCF punter said this. Yeah. Um, and then clapped back again and said something like, you know, what are y'all gonna even write about on your site? And it was like, and I broke back and I said, the actual real national champions for one. That's pretty, um, good. That's pretty yeah, good. I was pretty proud of it. And I, I didn't hear back from him, but it was like, you know, I, I invited him on the podcast. I'll reach out to him again. Open invitation. But it was just such a, like, I get it. Like, we should patch on the back a little bit more. But if you are humble, if you're a little bit more humble for like the last two years, instead of interacting with the rest of the college football world in the way you did, then maybe that would happen. I, I threw this out there on Twitter before the game, and I was curious what the reaction was going to be because I basically said the most down-the-fence comment about all things UCF and LSU, and that was that, um, you know, it's it is it fair necessarily that a team with a 25-game winning streak is going to be judged on 
one game, and that's really what all of everybody's opinion right. for UCF for these two years have been. It's really going to come down to that. Is that fair? Not necessarily, but at the same time, this is kind of what UCF has been asking for this entire time. And if you're asking to face this big-time competition, you know what? This is what makes a Power 5 team and a Power 5 juggernaut like LSU what it is and that it has depth where it can be able to turn to guys and say, all right, you know, you are a four-star recruit and even though you're a true freshman, we can still stick you out there and you have enough talent to where you're not going to lose us this game. And that's the difference between an LSU and a an UCF. And I was Connor, curious. They were playing a receiver at defensive back. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, that's not by even the end of the game, thing. it got to that point. Yeah. Like, I, you're, you're right. And I hate the excuses part, but like, Think about that. They were they were playing a receiver, a defensive back, and they they had nine starters out on defense, and they still did this to him. Still dominated him, held him two hundred fifty five yards. And I think that's a credit to somebody who just has not gotten enough credit in the last two years as a whole. And that's our good friend, Coach O. How about this? So LSU wins double digit games this year in a mm-hmm. season that we were talking about this this eight game. This eight-win um, run that they had in every year of the 21st century, we thought it was potentially going to come to an end just with how tough the schedule looks coming into this year. And they win double-digit games, and they win a New Year's Six Bowl. And part of it is because, you know what, Ed Orgeron got his quarterback. And I think that's that's yep. definitely a big part of it. Had the, the presence of mind to be able to go out in the middle of summer and say, we're not going to get to the level that we need to get at unless we go out and get someone, and, and he got Joe Burrow. And I think right now, if you look at him, many are going to still be skeptical of him going into the offseason. And to me, that's kind of wrong. Because if you look at his record against ranked teams that are not Alabama, I understand that LSU fans very much measure themselves up to Alabama. But if you just look at ranked teams that are not Alabama, Ed Orgeron's 7-2. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He deserves a raise. He deserves an extension. This is a guy who's the number 36 highest paid coach in the country. He made $3.5 million last year. He made a million dollars more than his defensive coordinator. Pay the man his money. As the Pay that man. No, and I think I think if you asked him and you asked any of his peers or you know the administration at LSU and any of those guys, what he should get more than that is respect. And I think he did. No for doubt. A lot of people. And it was it was cool to watch because he's such a likable guy. And and again, I'm very partial to it. We've talked about this before. It's cool to see everyone loves like a rags to riches story or like, you know, the underdog story and all that kind of stuff. It's cool to see this guy who is so passionate about this truly being his dream job, not politicking or anything like that. Like this was truly his dream job. And for him to go out there and perform the way he did all season and, you know, overcome all these obstacles, like do way better than anyone expected him, including us expect them to do it was it was really cool to watch do we have edward orgeron in the building he's been outside just waiting just waiting it's raining again he loves being wet man he does. Ever since I, that gatorade bath do you think he maybe asked them to pour the gatorade on him he's like you know yeah, like the first shower. quarter yeah I, um, I, I like that let me see if you can get out here okay. coach oh god oh he's got to look in his eye is he dripping on your floor always gone how you doing I'm not doing as well as you, which is, you know, I, I'm. It, it's nice for me to see you so happy at this point of the year because, you know, it could could have been much worse. We were talking about you on the coaching carousel, but we're not talking about that today. You know, I thought last, last time of the season we were going to have the interview. Um, I thought you would do my theme song once again. Don't, 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 don't. 
in the eye of the tiger, not the night of the tiger. Boom. Roasted. Now, kind of, I know you want the game, but the fiesta, me party. They go party out in Arizona in the desert. Not a lot of people know how to party in the desert. They got Burning Man out there. We didn't go to that. We didn't go to that. This was a business trip. Now, you know me. You know I like to party. You see my haircut. You know I like to do magic at parties. We went out there. We took care of business. Um, well, when I say we, it was uh, the third string, the second string, the leftovers. Everybody we threw out in the field there looked like something we'd find back in the refrigerator after Thanksgiving, Christmas Day meal. We had the little giants out there playing defense. And what happened, Connor? Coach, you won. By a lot. I mean, it seemed like a lot. Night, or like good night, good riddance, game over, LSU, national champs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I told him to do that last part. That was definitely an ad-lib line, probably. No, no. We've been practicing that. Oh, you've been practicing? Yeah. Oh, okay. LSU, in my book, in my eyes, they're the national champs. To be the man, you got to beat the man, right, Coach? Yeah, that Ric Flair. That Ric Flair. I agree. Coach L, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you probably sometime throughout the offseason. I'm sure you'll do something that'll warrant uh, you making a trip all the way back to Atlanta to Marler's apartments. Where we Mardi can... Gras. Oh, that's right. That's Coach, right. we can't we can't do that. That's, that's too much. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Georgia did not have the same day that LSU did. Ooh. From the moment that Bevo charged at UGA, you knew that it was going to be a rough day for the dogs. My goodness, credit Texas for coming out ready to go and just being the better team from start to finish. Georgia doesn't win a game that we thought it was a lock to win. And we thought it was a lock, not necessarily after the SEC championship, because, you know, there was still the narrative then of, oh, well, you know, is Georgia going to show up ready to go? You know, we saw what Auburn did last year against UCF in the Peach Bowl. Like, could Georgia do the same thing? And I think by the time that we got to kickoff, we were thinking, okay, this is still a team loaded with underclassmen, as we talked about. There is going to be some motivation to want to show the playoff committee that you know, Georgia belonged, and Georgia was right. one of the four best teams in the country. And when you chirp at Oklahoma and at Notre Dame during that game, I thought it was supposed to be the best four. This is the best four teams in America. I emojis. You got to back it up. And Georgia, you know what? You didn't back it up. And it was a complete beatdown by a Texas team that was just better. It was just better in every way. And that's not making an excuse for Georgia. That's saying you got beat in 60 minutes of football, and it was a game that mattered. And you know what? Lesson learned. Big time lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to separate my feelings on this game from what I watched versus what my emotions also watched because I lost some money on this game. I was not super happy um, about that. But, yeah, so I was traveling back on Saturday. I didn't realize that all of this chirping was going on from their players. Oh, yeah. Until after the game, and I was like, wait, wait, what happened? I'm sorry, during the game. I had no clue. It was during both games, too. That was the weird thing. It wasn't just like, okay, you're going to you're gonna poke fun at the number four seed, whatever, that's fine. It was during the Notre Dame game, too. It's like, all right, come oh, on. I you know, Georgia would beat Notre Dame um, after watching that. But, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. You, do, you cannot, that cannot happen if that's what the performance you go out and put out in the field after that. And, you know, right after we recorded the pod last week, we talked about how, oh, yeah, you know, DeAndre Baker's not going to play. <laughs> or he is going to play. And they come out and, like, you know, he decides he's not going to play instead. Because, um, of course, every time we record the pod, breaking news mm-hmm. happens immediately yep. after. 
But they should have had enough talent, I thought, to win that game. I think it had a lot less to do with they didn't want to be there, and they kind of thought they were just going to come out there and roll over Texas. They were cocky. They were way too cocky. And that game, yeah. I think, was kind of over in the first quarter because the DeAndre Swift fumble, that's when I really knew. I was like, oh, they're in trouble. Like, yeah. they're in a oh, yeah. lot of trouble. Because um, I I kind of thought it was going to go exactly the way I said it would, where they would be down early, they would kind of come out sluggish and hung over and all that kind of stuff, and then they would come out and just, you know, do what Georgia does and do what that offense does, get things going with like the run game and then also with Jake Fromm. They they got manhandled up front. They got they had no answer for that run game. It was almost like the pre LSU Georgia team took the field. Right. It was weird because the way they played down the stretch, and even though they didn't close out against Alabama, that was a really really good team. And we thought yeah. that they had just put all these pieces together. And we thought with a month of game planning, they're going to be ready to go. They weren't ready to go by any stretch of the imagination. That team was getting beat off the ball at the line of scrimmage. Sam Ellinger was the better quarterback, and I know we're you know, we're big Jake Fromm guys, oh but boy. but Sam Ellinger was doing all he can to will that team to victory, including having a little little motivational uh, message on his wristband. That armband. Who? I mean, did Oof. I call plays for Texas? What was going on right now? Hey, um, that, that was Tom yeah, Herman through and through. And it, it wasn't just it wasn't even just him. It was the whole team and that offensive line and and their defensive line getting after Jake Fromm. Like that wasn't a Big Twelve defense. It, no. That was not a stereotypical Big Twelve defense by Fromm, any stretch. Fromm looked good, and you know one thing that we we don't do a good enough job of is giving credit where credit's due with the Big Twelve. I mean, Texas came out; they looked really good. That's a talented football team. Um, you know, they're one of the better teams in that conference. But yeah, man, I, I was shocked to see how bad Fromm looked. You know, all the way around. Um, why am I forgetting his name now? Number nine. It's not Hardman, obviously. It's Jeremiah Holloman. Yeah. Yeah, Holloman. Why was I mixing that up? Holloman. He he dropped like three passes. He had a rough One day. of them. He had. He had. A, he did not do the same things he was doing in the latter half of the season, like against Florida, where he was kind of your go-to guy on the edge, not on, even on deep routes, but just going up to go get a ball and winning a 50-50 battle. He didn't do that. Not once. And it was. It was. You know, Swift didn't look good. They never established a line of scrimmage, and before you know it, you're down 17-3. You know, it was bad. It was really bad. And that last minute, good God. So I want to put a little bow on Georgia before I get into something bigger picture with this. You know, Georgia, you can you can talk all that if you want, but you come back to, and I know Herb Street came out, our good friend, recurring guest, Kirk Herb Street, <laughs> uh, said that he still thought that Georgia deserved to make the field. At the end of the day, Georgia lost to its three best teams that it faced. And... If you're sitting here trying to look back on this season, yeah, I understand that this was going to be a, kind of a transition year considering all the talent that they lost to the draft, and nobody's making any excuses for, for Georgia necessarily, and it was still a season with a New Year's Six Bowl, and if this is the new floor for Georgia, that's a pretty good thing moving forward yeah. considering the, the amount of top two and top three recruiting classes that they're going to bring in for years to come. But you look back on this season and you say, well... You know, it really kind of didn't meet our expectations of what we wanted to do. And that's, it, it, it says that to me because you didn't have that one big, like, grandiose win. Beating Florida, beating Kentucky, that's all well and good. You know, that that's fine. But is that going to move the needle for, for this Georgia team? No. And, and I don't think that they did anything to really show us. I Don't get me wrong, they were really impressive down the stretch. And the fact that they played Bama so close was great. 
but they didn't have that one big moment. Like even last year where they have the Notre Dame game where they go up to South Bend and they win there and it's it's a big deal. And they have these moments where, you know, Georgia just like looks like, okay, they're on this different kind of level. I'm not sure that they ever really, you know, besides staying close in that Alabama game and, and beating, you know, good Florida team, don't get me wrong, good Florida team, but a team that we thought they would beat convincingly coming into the year. I just don't know necessarily how you look back on this season and say, yes, it was definitely without a doubt a success where we feel really good about what we did in 2018. So I disagree and agree with a few things you said, but I disagree primarily because those fans, if, if you ask those fans like, hey, were you excited that y'all won the Sugar Bowl if they would have won? Eh, not really, because that wasn't where the expectations were. And that's a good thing. No, I'm not saying the players, I'm saying the fans. Like, that is where the expectations are for the University of Georgia's program now. If you had asked them when, though, that's my question. What do you mean? If you had asked them, so if you said, oh, well, how are you going to feel if you win the if you win the Sugar Bowl? Are you saying if you asked them this question a week ago, or if you asked this question, like, before the season started? Both. I don't, I think that... Okay. I mean, I think they, you obviously want to see your team come out and win, and that's always important. You, no one ever likes losing. Um, my issue would be, Last year, you talk about like the Notre Dame game. That was a huge, huge moment for them. But it was also in like where our expectations were last year. We didn't think that Georgia team, especially with Jake Fromm as a true freshman, his first start ever, going up to South Bend, that that was necessarily a winnable game. And then having the stretch they had. Now, granted, they didn't have like maybe the moment like they've had in the years past. But you're talking about a team that still went undefeated in their own division for the second straight year. Which is great. Um, Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's great. And I, you know, that Florida game, a lot should be made out of that Florida game. That Florida team. Is it, I think, what, nine or ten wins? Ten wins, right? Ten win season, yeah. Ten win team. And then that same team, you talk, that's a pretty big hump for Georgia to get over. I know they won the year before, 42-7. But when you're coming off that loss at LSU, what they did to, get to Florida, what they did on the road against Kentucky, and then what they did at home against Auburn, that's a pretty tough three-game stretch. And they oh, looked no doubt. really no impressive, doubt. especially on the, you know, they the wheels kind of came off at the, in the fourth quarter of the Bama game. Regardless, I thought it was still an incredible season, and they did – yeah, they lost to the best three teams on their schedule. I still think next year they're and the whole foundation of that program is in a much better place. And that's Absolutely. why we don't think they had that moment. Absolutely. It, my my point, I guess, was more to along the lines of, you know, Georgia was what like a twelve point favor going into that Florida game. It got up to thirteen and a half. If your if your best win of the year is a game in which you're a two touchdown favorite, I'm just saying like that's that doesn't really oh, you say mean Florida, that you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Florida game, the Florida game, right? If that's if that's the you know, if that's your big, like, big defining moment of the season, I, I would just argue that the 2017, the 2017 team had at least three moments. If you go Notre that, Dame, Oklahoma, SEC championship, all three of those moments were better than anything that that Georgia was able to do in 2018. If you just look at their wins, that's 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 the my floor, only point. so the Florida line was seven. That, I thought Florida you line was the, seven. The yeah, okay. I jumped all over that. Um, yeah, I, I just I think it's, but it's it's also because Georgia has now gotten to the point of their program where. They are routinely, and almost in a mundane, boring way, becoming dominant. Anyway. Yep. Big 12 ends up going 3-1 and one against the SEC. The lone SEC win came, of course, uh, Alabama beating Oklahoma. So not necessarily a bragging rights bowl season for the SEC, right. in my opinion. You finish 6-5. and five. Every Power 5 conference finished within one game of 500, which leads me to believe that there's no real conference in terms of you know having those bragging rights arguments oh. in the postseason, unlike what the SEC had last year, where you get both the national championships. So teams. the Pac-12, they were. 
Eh, they were they were bad, but let's be honest. No, nobody really moved the needle, so to speak. Maybe the but Big Twelve is going to be. What we need more than anything is more bowls. I think yeah. that would change the narrative. Act like you wouldn't gamble on more bowls. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, a bowl I that if they I... offered something where I could gamble on the games the week of the bowls, where they're playing like bowling or tic tac toe, I would gamble on that. Oh, something one... else we'll talk about later. One quick point on this. Um, so uh, Sam Ellinger. After the game, had a great soundbite from Holly Rose interviewing him, and he says, "We're back." So credit to you because you said like three different times this year that Texas was back. As you take a drink of your water and twist the cap into the microphone, no, you um, can't thank hear you it. for that. Um, Texas is indeed back, according to Sam Ellinger and you. But you reported it first, so I never said they were back. I appreciate what you're doing, kind of. I, I want to go back and find that audio. Now that was that was the most I've hedged ever. Was Big that? Time. Yeah, that was bad. Anyway, moving on. Um, how about Kentucky? That was I, awesome. I was there to see Kentucky play Penn State in the Citrus Bowl, and I tweeted at the end of the third quarter, as as only I could, that it was that Kentucky was boat racing Penn State, and then of course. Uh, Penn State uh, leads a Trace McSorley leads a, an incredible comeback, and if James Franklin wasn't a coward, Trace McSorley would have had a chance to win that game. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, I've got That's some thoughts. Yeah, I've I got saw some it. Thoughts. I saw it on Twitter. Um, so I could, I mean, I could dig into that side of it. Former Vandy coach, of course, uh, and why I think James Franklin is a terrible, terrible in-game coach. Heck of a recruiter, great face of the program. Get all that, but. But oh, what we should goodness. do is just give Kentucky the credit. Yeah, let's just let's just give Kentucky the credit because Kentucky deserves a ton of credit for being able to to come out and defensively, I mean, they, they shut out an offense that I thought was gonna have a big day. And yeah. and Josh Allen playing in that bowl game, obviously huge. Cash Daniel was fantastic. And this this Kentucky defense that felt like it had something to prove the entire season proved it in a big way. I mean, big had way. Kentucky ends up having its best season in four decades. They end up winning a bowl game for the first time in 10 years. I mean, just the whole body of work was really amazing. And you could see it on the face of the, on the faces of the Kentucky players. And Josh Allen was asked after the game, you know, where do you think this Kentucky team belongs in, in, in history? And he says, you know, I think we're the best team to ever come out of Kentucky. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a historian, but I'm not here to say that in my lifetime he's wrong. because Let's just all assume that he is right. And if somebody wants to argue that, um, yeah, go ahead. Just keep that in your back pocket. I don't think anybody really cares. No, actually, um, I want to. I want to see that. I want to see you try and say Josh Allen, you're wrong, and go up to go up to him. Sure, yeah. Um, no, and it was one thing that was cool. And we talked about this going into the game. It was, I thought this game kind of meant more for this program than any other games. Like, I mean, obviously, Bama getting to the national championship that that game means a lot. I but agree. In I terms agree of you. like where a program is and where, like, this was huge for Kentucky going out and being beating like a national power. Like I don't want to, I don't want to say blue blood necessarily, but preseason top ten team. But yeah, I mean it's also Penn State. That's a national yeah. brand. Everyone knows Penn State. Huge so fan base. That means yeah. a lot for Kentucky to go out there and and, and beat them um, in a January first bowl. Get to ten wins. Like those are all incredible feats. And it was I hated that this game was on at the same time with two other games. Oh gosh, it was the, the worst. LSU UCF game. But it was really cool to see not just that them go out and win the game and hold on late because I was a little bit nervous. But for them to win that game and have their two biggest stars, and probably two of the biggest stars they've had in a what, long time, twenty years, and they're on the team at the same time, you know, both on offense and defense with Josh Allen and Benny Snell, for them to go out on a high note in the way they did with Benny Snell getting you know another huge game, and then Josh Allen just doing Josh Allen things. 
Benny Snell becomes the all-time leading rusher in Kentucky history, has this great moment where he drops his knees in the end zone after getting what looked like the dagger touchdown. And you could just tell what that moment meant for him. And I apologize to everybody because I said I was going to try and get that yeah, what the hell, man? That update on Benny the Bandit. I'll, I'll do my best to do some digging to try and find out when the next track is dropping. But I wasn't able to get that question in because he was only in a press conference setting. And I wasn't going to ask that question in a press conference setting. I would only ask it in a pit setting where you have reporters surrounding a player and it's a little bit different, you know. Mm, but I'm professional. Mm. Speaking of being a professional, sick brag here on my part. I did ask James, James Franklin the elephant in the room question, which was how in the world for the second time this year, if you go back to what he did to – Ohio At the end State. of the Ohio State game, where he decides on fourth and five, he's going to hand the ball off to Miles Sanders instead of giving the ball to Trace McSorley, his most prolific quarterback in program history. Ever. He decides that, once again, you're on the 15-yard line. You've got all the momentum in the world. Fourth and seven. I understand fourth and seven is not easy, but four minutes left in this game, and he decides to kick a field goal to make it a three-point game for whatever reason, instead of going for it, when they had so much momentum and rallied back from down 27-7 to in this game. And so I asked him, I'm like, how is that going to sit with you this offseason? Knowing that you, th- the Jeez, way that Connor. you're going to look back on this year, no, seriously, because I, it's a question that if you're making $5 million, you need to be able to answer these questions. Right. Because he made two awful decisions and two key moments of games that could have dictated how this season could have gone for them. And I, you know, not to take away credit from Kentucky, but, you know, he, I, I think his decision really cost Penn State that game. And I, I hated his answer after, where he said he pointed to the struggles of the receivers of Penn State and the struggles of the passing game as to why he didn't want to go for it in that moment, and just completely ignoring the fact that he had one of the best quarterbacks of the last decade in Trace McSorley. Go back and look at the numbers, and you'll that'll and he confirm took the ball what I said. Out of his hands again. And he took the ball out of his hands again. You got two in your head, and then of course James Franklin the next day decides he's going to fire his wide receivers coach. Whatever. I'm off yeah. my soapbox now. I thought it was egregious. Yeah, I have no interest. Whatever. State. I have, yeah, I have no interest, whatever, in, in like if Penn State wins. But this, this just like as a as an observer got me riled up. Anyways, credit to Kentucky, ten wins. What a year! Let's see if Mark Stoops can sustain this. That's the toughest thing to do for a program in this situation is to sustain it. Kentucky hasn't had back to back nine win seasons since when? Nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty. Yeah. Well, also, I think he's been there. For, this is his sixth, seventh year, seventh year, sixth year, and they have had. 2013 or more wins each year he's been there than the year before so sustaining the success is going to be difficult but i i mean i i hope they get back to eight wins i think eight wins would be kind of on par with what they did this year because because of the people they lose but we'll get to that later i'm gonna miss benny snell so much gosh yeah he dropped his knees i remember like this is fun fact about marler when i was 12 uh in the baseball championship for little league i dropped my knees after the last pitch and I put my hands up. I was like, yes, we did it. Umpire called it a ball. It was very, very awkward. <laughs> very awkward. So dramatic. It's a real thing oh, that happened. Gosh. Let's round up uh, the SEC Bowls. The other uh, action that we had um, on New Year's Eve, actually, Texas A&M destroyed NC State. Jimbo Fisher gets win number nine in year one. Travion Williams was, whew, he was Awesome in that game. Still 236 good. yards, three touchdowns. He hit over 2,000 yards from scrimmage in just 13 games. He's That's going to be one of those years where 10 years from now we're going to look back and we're going to be like, holy crap, Like, 
he, he didn't get All-America honors. He, right. Do we not give him enough love what this year? Happened? Because I, I try to give I try to give Trayvon Williams some love. He had three games this year of over 200 yards rushing, and he was just a beast. And I don't know if that's his last game at Texas A&M. As of this recording, we don't know if he's right. going to be coming back. But what a year he had playing in that offense. We talked about the excitement that he had about playing with a fullback, playing in a more pro-style system and not playing in whatever offense Kevin Sumlin is trying to run these days. But uh, credit to him and credit to A&M for just showing up ready to go, and they got that ninth dub. Yeah, and emphatically, emphatically. Oh. Um, yeah, that was pretty awesome to watch. I, I, like, they got down early, and I was a little bit concerned because um, it didn't seem like they, they just seemed really sluggish from the start. But for like them to pour it on, and then the twelfth man touchdown at the end, that was cool. Very cool. Very very cool. Uh, Jay Sternberger announces that he's going to the NFL, and I, I bring this up because. It's such an amazing story that you rarely see in this day and age in college football where recruiting rankings often dictate whether or not an underclassman is going to be able to get that kind of notoriety and right. whether or not he's going to get that kind of playing time. And this is somebody who goes to Kansas year one, gets one catch for five yards, and then he transfers to Northeastern Oklahoma A&M and then spends one year in College Station, one year playing in that offense, and now you know he, he has this unbelievable season and he's off to the NFL, a great draft for NFL tight ends. Uh, credit to Jay Sternberger for yeah, well, taking advantage yeah. of his opportunity and Don't having a money. heck of a year. Get you where's, some uh, money. Where's Brewster going now, Tim Brewster? He's at UNC. So congrats also, Jace, on being on every single UNC recruiting yep. graphic imaginable for the next yes. like eight to ten years. I did something the other day, and I felt bad about it. I unfollowed you Tim Brewster. No, I have carbs. Come on, let's... I'm just let's, asking. You know I'm a big Hawaiian roll guy. Um, Tim Brewster... I had to unfollow him on Twitter. He was tweeting about too much UNC stuff, and I was just like, you know what? If it's interesting, somebody's going to retweet it. I'm sorry. I haven't Those... been following him for a while. Uh, that's tragedy. Um, A&M gets its ninth win for the first time since Johnny Manziel in 2013. How about that? That was How impressive. about that? Not as impressive was Mizzou. Oh, boy. Bad, bad finish to that game. Just a weird call on fourth down from Derek Dooley to have... To have Drew Locke, your your once in a generation quarterback, sneak it, try and run a the, the to the to the t- off tackle like just no, slow that, developing that play. That wasn't even the most like, the most embarrassing part of this game. And so halfway through the season, especially before they got to November, there were like our, our buddy Adam Spencer and a lot of other Mizzou fans that I know. They were pretty fed up with Odom just because of the way he goes about game calling and and managing each game and whether he should be aggressive and isn't aggressive and vice versa it kind of went right back to that same kind of mindset and you could see Dude, the flaws that, yep. that you know that winning helps you gloss over and when you're you know these things become bigger and they you know they're under a microscope once you do lose but when you score and then have to waste a timeout cuz you're going to go for two and then you come back and kick a field goal to make it a 9 point game why yeah why you waste a timeout doing that and it was and you know why not make fourth, it a one score game there were several times where if it's third and three or third and four, the play call on third down, where I think like on one third and four, they ran the football. And I, I think it might have been with Locke or maybe it was the running back, and they were like two yards short. And it's like, well, I mean, you can set up. If you're going to go for it on fourth down, you already know that. Set up that next play with third down. They refused to do that the entire game. It was a weird way for them to end the season. We thought Mizzou was going to be able to win this game. Um, our they were takes, favored by nine points. Yeah, I was surprised that line got that high. I thought yeah, that was a li- little bit too high. It was um, a throw, by the way. It was a throw on third and four. That's why, yeah, I right. didn't explain that well. That, anyway, and they went for it on fourth. 
not the best finish to the season for Derek Dooley and Barry Odom, two guys that would have had a ton of momentum going into the offseason had they been able to get that ninth win. Um, but still, I mean, all in all, still a good season for, for Mizzou, all things considered. Probably would be a good thing to start off not 0-4 in SEC play next year, not have to, you know, dig out of that yeah. hole in November. Just the a thought. no-loss November thing is cool, but, but what's even cooler, maybe one loss October. They have a much favorable start to SEC play next year. They'll get at least two wins from that start. The, but book it here first. Let's, right, let's let, get to let, the anger. Well, no, let's real quick. Uh, I got another uh, one One final question on this. And Drew Locke, who closes out just an incredibly prolific career. How many quarterbacks are going to be drafted ahead of Drew Locke? Two. Who are they? Uh, it is Dwayne Haskins and my boy Daniel Jones from Duke. Really? Daniel remember, Jones? That's a lot. a long card. time ago, like in October, when that Instagram handle asked me to rank my favorite five uh, quarterback prospects and I was like no because I don't have access to your Instagram but yeah it was on SDS and I was like make sure you use Marler see Marler SDS not SDS because I don't want to speak for the whole site because I'm usually wrong um and yeah I said Daniel Jones second he throws such a good deep ball such a good deep ball he's also got like the physical tools he, he looked really good in his bowl game um yeah I think I think there'll only be two shots fired I was thinking one I was thinking Haskins was going to be the only one really yeah. Locks good I just I mean he's definitely gonna be ahead of Stidham yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, we'll talk. We have plenty of plenty of time to talk uh, NFL draft stuff. Quarterback that might not be drafted. Um, Nick Fitzgerald. You for this. This is. I have already. You know what? I've been down this road. I've already said. I've apologized a million times. Yeah, I've said that wrong. I was wrong. I own this take. I was wrong. I have my buddies. I have my buddies uh, who. Shout out to a couple of my best buddies from uh, who went to Iowa that were chirping me about this oh the other day saying, you know, I thought Mississippi State was going to win 10 games. What happened? They didn't win 10 games. They didn't win 10 games. And you know what? They would have won a ninth game had Stephen Guidry been able to hold on to the ball in the end zone and not let it fall right out of his hands and into the hands of an Iowa State or an Iowa defense, defensive back and basically lose that, that game right there. one of the worst interceptions that was not Nick Fitzgerald's fault. So you not nailed you nailed this before we did like the preview. You were like, this is going to feature Nick Fitzgerald, I think, or maybe you said both quarterbacks, that throw yep. the ball way too hard. Nate Stanley, yep. Yeah, so you were dead on with that, as he always does. He's not very accurate. Early on, they looked like they were in control. I thought they were just going to, it was going to be a very boring game where they would just kind of like grind out a win. And, you know, they got behind and they had to start throwing the ball, which I don't think they had to throw the ball as much. Side note, somebody should have taken Kylan Hill's helmet away. Uh. That was really weird. We don't need to get into it too much because we've already got into all the other things. But I said early in the season, Mississippi State has the worst receivers and receiving court in the SEC. And I thought even when I said I was like, maybe you're exaggerating. I'm sure Vandy doesn't have great receivers. I don't know. Who knows? That's That stands. That is spot on. That was I, unbelievable to drop that pass. And why is Keon, Keaton Thompson playing receiver? I don't know. I don't know. That's uh, It was not Joe Moorhead's best game. I'll say that from a, from a management standpoint. In the first standpoint. quarter. You know he's my guy. You know he's my guy. Um, but this was not the best game for Joe Moorhead. I will say this. As much as it is a bummer to lose and to not maximize what we thought, what I thought, start. were some high preseason, preseason expectations with this defense. And a lot of people are going to say, well, this wasn't even Joe Moorhead's defense. You know, how is he going to be able to manage talent when he's got to build his own roster? What I'll also say is that these weren't his receivers either. And 
the receiver and the quarterback situation, just from a passing game standpoint, is going to improve. I have to think it will. There is going to be way more talent at that position, and Joe Moorhead recruits very well at that position. And I think that you will have less frustrating moments if you are a Mississippi State fan as soon as you see your team fall behind. I don't think it will always be like what it was this year where you're just hoping to God Nick Fitzgerald doesn't throw an interception. Well, I mean, it's to be fair, everyone has drops. I mean, look at South Carolina this year. They had two of the best receivers and maybe the best receiving combo actually outside of Bama and UGA in the conference with um, Edwards and Debo. But they had a lot of drops. They led the conference in drops. This was inexcusable, inexcusable type type stuff. You have to hold on to that ball going into score. I, I, the Keaton Thompson receiver thing, because if it was a trick play, I get it. But when you're letting him run a skinny post in the first quarter on like third and 10, you go to him, can't happen. I, I agree with you in terms of the talent at that position and quarterback maybe will get better and will be at least consistent uh, and consistently better under Moorhead because he's an offensive guy. However, I said this before the season started. This is kind of what Mississippi State is. Is an eight-win team. There's a there's a not a very high ceiling for them, and I feel like they kind of proved that this year because they That's did fair. so many things that they consistently do that have plagued them through years, and it was frustrating to watch. Like I, I wanted them to to win that game, and I wanted them to not you know force you into getting trash talk by people that live in Iowa. No one deserves that. No one. It's Iowa. It's they not live fault. in Iowa. Oh, no, thank no. God. Okay. I was coming to your fence, Connor. Is this heaven? No, it's a baseball field and a cornfield. Do not hate on Field of Dreams it's a good movie. for one second. It's a good movie. Um, all right. SEC goes 6-5 and five in bowl games. I really don't think that the SEC necessarily helped themselves. I don't think that they hurt themselves in a significant way. If there is something that they hurt themselves with, it's the Big 12 thing. It's the Big 12 defense thing, really. Um, but other than that, I don't think this was a move-the-needle postseason for the SEC. Let's get a bowl mania update because, ding, 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 we have a winner. Wow. Yeah. Amazing showing from Tyler Chris. He is our winner with 31 correct. He has a two-game lead. That's how we know that he is the winner of this. Uh, Tyler Chris, if you're listening, send us a, a DM um, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. We'll get back at you. We will set up an interview. We will talk about how great your picks were. Um, I mean, I'm going to be traveling, so hit me up on my beeper. I don't know if I'll have any any service, but just you know, hit me up on that. I'll call you back. What are you, like a drug dealer in 1998? No, I watched The Hangover the other day, and it was, you know, just oh, yeah. seemed like a good reference. Yeah. But thank you for saying that instead. Yeah. Uh, Marler, you did not finish in first place. You are currently, and now there's one game left, and we don't know who you're going to pick. Um, it's a mystery, but you are currently in 139th place. Not a, a bad 20, close. What are they, 20 and 19 record? Not a good close, though. No, I mean, well, I was like, I don't know, I had four, only 14 right in the last day. I closed pretty strong, didn't I? No, no, I couldn't have because I missed Georgia. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. I mean, yeah. and I also did lose money on bowl season. I was doing so well so early, and in that Georgia game, good oh, God. Chris, terrible. Um, shout out to me. I finished tied in 10th place. Shout out to everybody else who finished tied for 10th place. We are part of a new club, the Smart People Club. Um, anyways. Also, thanks a lot for Ohio State not covering uh, in the Rose Bowl. That's when I started watching The Hangover. I turned it because I didn't want to watch this boring 28-3 game. And by the time I turned it back to like the Sugar Bowl, they only Wait, won by five you, points. Were you blaming me for Ohio State? No, I was State just saying. I was just saying. Oh. oh, thanks a lot to Ohio State in general. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw a lot of good tweets about um, uh, 
like the most frustrating possible way to watch Ohio beats. State because to watch the backdoor cover and then to watch Urban celebrate the way that he did was like the ultimate kick in the nuts for people who probably still bet on Ohio State but don't like Ohio State. Forty three like seconds yourself. left. You're up by you're up by twenty five points going into the fourth quarter. The line was six and a half. Also, I never thought I would say this, but watching Urban Meyer do the Gator Chomp was the only redeeming quality he had of this entire season. Weird. We're, we're going to get to another former Florida coach a little bit later and why I still can't understand his incessant, whatever, hatred of other SEC programs. But, yeah, that was a, that was kind of lost in the shuffle of, of that moment where Tom Rinaldi was trying to make Urban cry um, and didn't really do so, but got pretty close. Anyway, so, yes, Tyler Chris, send us a DM on whatever social media platform you are a fan of, and we will try and get you on for an interview to give you a bunch of sick brags. All right, tell us about your best friend of 2019. It's not me. No, it's definitely not humility either. It is Texas Pete. Uh, my good friend, TP as I call him, Texas Pete. Uh, that's the first thing. I, I made my resolutions after New Year's Eve. Um, one of them was start eating healthier. First thing I had, first meal, eggs with Texas Pete. There you go. You're right. Um, tailgating season's kind of over now, Connor. It, it's kind of over. There's one last game. Uh, so never I'm say never. Some new ideas for you. You know, you don't okay. always have to have a game to tailgate. Email gate. If you're sending out some emails at work, do it with some Texas yeah. Pete. Have a little lunch with it, okay? Sure, you might want to clamp the keyboard afterwards, but regardless, email gate. Maybe you want to get into sailing. Sailgate. Maybe you're riding Marta in Atlanta like I always am, pretending to listen to music so nobody talks to you or asks you for money. Railgate. Boom. You can take Texas Pete anywhere, and trust me, I do. So make sure you go get some Texas Pete today. Saturdays are always better down south. You guys know that. Uh, tailgating is better down south, and tailgating is also always better with Texas Pete. Maybe you want some uh, recipes? Go over to texaspeetcom tailgating and check out some videos and some, tail, uh, and some recipes that we came up with together. There you go. Me and you? Well, no, it was just me. I don't know why I said oh. together. It was, no, it was me yeah. and, and Pete, TP. Oh, yeah, TP, yeah. yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are they're waiting on us for, for us to talk national championship, and I promise you we and will, it ain't gonna we'll, happen. We will have our predictions at the end of that as well. But this this is a big storyline right now. It's becoming a big storyline. It's this Bird these box. title game ticket prices. It is becoming now uh, an embarrassing thing for the college football playoff to see these ticket prices to get into the stadium plummeting. Ticket IQ tweeted this out yesterday, which was um, Wednesday. I forget what day of the week it is. All, pretty much the last yeah, three right. weeks. It's been weird. Um, the lowest get-in price for a game, a national championship game this decade is this this current 2018 national championship. It was at 179 yesterday. I think it has since dropped to like today. one yeah, 120 today. That's unbelievable. And part of it being Obviously, we've talked a lot about just the travel of what it takes to go to to Miami to go to the SEC championship and all this, you know, all this money that you end up spending on tickets. If you're an Alabama fan, if you're a Clemson fan throughout the year, but now flying out to the West Coast and getting to San Francisco, if you want to fly there, pretty much from anywhere, from what I've seen, it's at least a thousand bucks. Yeah. So this is something that I got pretty frustrated with because I'm going to the game and I'm not I'm not complaining because. I'm very fortunate. I'm, I've, I had a very blessed 2018. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. I uh, was able to go to a lot of games. But this is something we brought up last week, uh, talking about the, the Orange Bowl. And, you know, if you're a Clemson fan, and Clemson travels really well, 
really well. They will flood your city with $2 bills and little orange paw prints on them. They do a great job with that. The, the thing that bothers me about this is that, yeah, the ticket prices are really low. I don't think it's going to be sold out. I think there's going to be empty seats in the stadium. And what frustrates me is that, one, I saw that this was reported by Dan Wetzel. I thought it was Dan Wolken, so I overreacted immediately, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. But what frustrates me is the narrative that's going to end up coming from this is that this is why we need playoff expansion. There's not enough parity. These are the only two teams. The fourth straight year they've played each other in the yep. playoffs, blah, yep. blah, blah. And that's not why this is happening. One, the arrogant part of me that's from like being a Bama fan is if you be better, win games, beat them, beat these teams. And Herb Street went on like a long Twitter rant about this the other day. And that's that's really the smallest what's that? No, I was just scratching my nose. You're good. Um, so that's that's like <laughs> the smallest part of this argument. Um, my biggest frustration is the fact that the the playoff and whoever's planning it has really done a disservice to fans. And, you know, I'm going out there on Monday. We're flying in um, to LAX, then there's a layover, then going to San Francisco. And, and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that because I have a friend that has miles and we, you know, I get to hook up with tickets. Sick brag. But, but that being said, there are several people that I know that have tickets in hand, diehard fans, and can't go to the game because it's 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 not affordable. And when you talk about being like flying all the way to San Francisco, it's one of the most expensive places in the US to live. It's yep. actually the most expensive place to live. Um, it's the eighth most expensive place to travel to, and I haven't quoted any of these sources, but I have them all in the notes. Uh, it's the eighth most expensive place to travel to. The average average stay in San Francisco over the past five years is from Statica? Dot com. Sure. Sure. Um, so the average price to stay in, in the month of January alone is $199 a night. And that's not just for a hotel. It's a overnight accommodations, in quotes. Now you're talking about a national championship game being in town. San Francisco, San Jose, there's only five hotels that are still available in San Jose. That's, that's nine miles from the stadium. San Francisco, the average cost of the hotels is well, the cheapest one I found was at the, with the, at the airport. It's a Red Roof Inn. You ever stayed at Red Roof Inn? No, uh, you're not willingly. Yeah, yeah, you're still alive. That's why. True. Um, kidding. It's a lovely place, but the cheapest uh, hotel room for there for for Monday night is two hundred nine dollars. It's it's crazy. The prices are out of control. The cheapest flights are nine fifty eight from Atlanta. It's a ten. It's over ten hours of travel time. Two stops. That is the absolute cheapest cheapest flight to get out there and back uh, from Expedia.com. It's nuts. If you if you are going to this game. Tweet us just some of your basic expenses of what you're spending on this because not only will it lead into my it might mean too much column, but I, I'm very curious because all the things that you lay out right there, when I do the, the basic math in my head, this is like a four grand trip for a person probably. Right. I mean, it, and the tickets are the, the least expensive thing. And so the weird thing that's, to me yeah. is that that's not what this should be about. And this is a miscalculation on the college football playoff on their, from their standpoint of thinking that the college football bubble is greater than the Silicon Valley bubble, and that's just not the case when you consider all of these added expenses that you have to a season that already has playoff games, or it already has conference championship games, where you're traveling, you're doing all these things, and I think they looked at this a few years ago and they thought to themselves, oh, so San Francisco is such an up-and-coming place, you know, so many people want to live there, millennials love it there, and this is going to be a great place to have a championship game, a place with a new stadium, and a great market for this. Yeah, the stadium. But 
this is going to backfire because ratings are going to be great, and that's that's going to squat. That's going to pour cold water on any belief that there's this Bama Clemson fatigue. I get that people might say that, but you're still going to watch. You're still yeah. going to watch the national championship. So to me, this is more on the fault of the college football playoff selection committee for picking a site that they thought was going to be have all these great encompassing, uh, encompassing, encompassing. I'm just going to up on that word. Encompassing. You you take it away. Latitudes. I, no, no. You, I mean, you're right. Like they, it's they they found this happens a lot when you have a bright, shiny new thing and you have a new stadium. You are in the front running for the college football playoff, the Super Bowl, or um, what do you call it? The uh, like the Final Four, all that kind of stuff. So that's one reason they build these stadiums. But when you and San Francisco is a beautiful place. I've been there before. It's one of my favorite places I've ever visited. I also I have no idea how much money Bob Saget could have been making to afford a place in San Fran with that whole family in Full House. It's Saget. amazing. Um, it's a beautiful city. It's a lot of fun. However, the the ticket that that has always always been the obstacle finding the ticket. Georgia fans last year bought up so many of these tickets. The I think the average price when I first started looking last year for the national championship tickets was like twenty three twenty five hundred dollars. Because I remember bringing it up to Allie and she was like, "Yeah, no, not happening." Yep. Um, but now we talk about one hundred and twenty dollars to watch a national championship game. It's just crazy, and you're not doing it in a venue that's if this is at the Rose Bowl. That's that's a bucket list thing, man. That that is just woven into like the fabric of college football in terms of it's the granddaddy of them all. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. You're talking about San Francisco in January in an outdoor stadium where it's going to be cold, probably rainy, and and that's also going to have a huge impact on the game. Yeah, it was it was a misstep. It was an absolute misstep. And I think that the next they should be fine with the next five sites that are that are announced: twenty nineteen New Orleans, twenty twenty Miami, twenty twenty one Indianapolis. I am pumped for that. I love me some downtown Indy. Twenty twenty two Los Angeles, twenty twenty three Houston. You're not going to have this same issue, so we're going to probably move past this. And they're probably still, you know, the money from ratings is is going to be fine, and they're not going to have to worry about this. But this is this should be a there should be a lesson learned to this because. Having ticket prices fall this significantly late in the game, this close to a big-time national, national championship, championship game, and it's not like they're going to be playing like a 13 to 10 game. I mean, these are two high-powered offenses. They're really fun to see. If you would had, if you were a local in the area, you would want to go see Tua play Trevor Lawrence. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. Yeah. And I just think that it's crazy that they have made such a a poor poor error in judgment, and it's going to really cost. This, this game and what should have this great magnitude, and I think that it's going to lack because of where they decided to have it. Right, and you know, one last thing on it too is, this isn't any one person's fault, I don't think, and it's definitely not Clemson and Bama's fault, because you look at the past three years where those have been really good games. I understand last year was 24-7, it wasn't as close, but in comparison, it wasn't as close to Clemson winning with one second on the clock that Hunter Renfro passed in 2016 pick play. Anyway, or the 2015 game, it was like 45-40, to these are two really good programs that play each other really close. And when you are putting this over 20, was it 2,600 miles away from their home? And I guess it's over 3,000, actually. Which so they have no control over because, right, I mean, obviously right. that's decided well in advance. But, but even with like the actual planning of the whole like weekend events where you're having the concert series and all that kind of stuff, which is a really cool event. This is like, should be an event for the city and the fans traveling there. Even that isn't centrally located. You're doing a halftime show in San Francisco, which is 46 miles door-to-door from the location to the stadium. Stupid. Shout out to my friend that's the producer of the halftime show. And then the Southern San Jose, the weekend-long um, concerts you're going to have there, which is like Logic and, and Ellie Gold and all that, that's nine miles away. So it's better, but like this isn't Roller Coaster Tycoon. You, they want to touch every corner of the bay, 
that all looks good on paper, but like it has to be logistically sound for fans. Also, why is Keith Urban playing the day of the game? Why is Imagine Dragons playing the day of the game? Is the better I, question. Almost, Keith, Keith Urban like is an incredible performer. Oh if you God. if you ever get a chance to go see Keith Urban play, seriously, like whether you're a fan of country music or not, the He's guy Australian. is unbelievable. What's what do you got against Australians? I don't sing country music. I'm, I'm, he's an he's an unbelievable act to see live. I bet you he could dance circles, and he is a billion times more talented than anything Imagine Dragons has. Moving on. I'm just saying, if he was from Arkansas, not Australia, I'd go see him. But yeah, moving wow. on, let's get to the title game. That's geography bias right there. Uh, all right, let's ask three questions for the title game, and then we're going to do our over-unders and our predictions. Three questions. First one, what is the biggest thing, and I'm asking you these questions. I want you to answer these questions. What is the biggest thing that Alabama should be worried about in this game? Hotel prices. Connor, listen. It's, Amen, you know, brother. Um, I Biggest thing they need to be worried about in this game, I think that it's probably not being able to establish a line of scrimmage on offense. Where Tua gets a little bit antsy like he did in the Georgia game, because I think a lot of his issues could be more mental than physical. Mm-hmm. Um, where if he's not on time, if he's rushing his throws and he's not comfortable, like in the same way he was in the Georgia game, that could be a problem. Okay, let's go to the second one. Speaking of not being able to establish the line of scrimmage, how much is the Dexter Lawrence thing going to matter? Because we're assuming we're assuming he's not going to play in this game. The star defensive tackle who is out with a drug suspension. We assume he's not playing in this game. That's what it's it is. So I mean, much worse. I know. It's a failed drug test, and we assume that he's not going to be able to play in this game. They're going to announce in the next day or two if he's going to be active. But we assume he's not playing. So how much is that going to actually matter when you talk about getting pressure on Tua and being able to establish line of scrimmage? I mean, he's a really, really good player. I just don't think it's going to matter as much when you have Christian Wilkinson and you also have uh, Colin, what's Colin Farrell. 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 Yeah. Is that like not Colin Farrell. Kalein? Not Colin. Yeah, um, Colin Farrell's the actor, but close. How do you say his name? I think it's Clayton. Yeah, okay. Either way, if, if they have Colin Farrell, he was great in SWAT. I'm sure he'd be good on the defensive line, off the edge. Good point. Regardless, um, they have so much talent on that D-line, and they have, like, like not just their D, but, like, Bama has a good a good front front four. This is different. I don't think I've ever seen something where, like, and I know a lot of, like, the preseason mock drafts, mock drafts that were in the preseason, but having all four of those guys potentially go in the top, one or two rounds in the NFL draft, that's crazy. All three, yeah. Yeah, they are uh, they are loaded up front, no doubt about it. So with that in mind, and considering the history, this is part four of this this great rivalry, this uh, really unprecedented thing that we've seen in, in the 21st century, really in the last like 30 years in college football, is a touchdown spread disrespectful to Clemson? No. No. And I, so and the thing is, it opened at six and a half. It got down to five yesterday. And you know how I feel about five-point spreads. You um, are a big, big fan a of lot, A lot of this has to do with the fact that the betting public, a lot of them, you know, that if they're not as familiar with watching games or each team for the entire season, they know that Alabama's had one of the most, if not the most dominant seasons start to finish or, you know, through the first 14 games that anyone's ever had in comfortable history. This, I think, is much more about trying to I, – I thought it was low. I thought they'd put it about nine and a half. Really, um, and th- and then it would get bet down. I don't think that's what the spread will or the score will end up being, but I think that was probably a pretty good starting point because of how many fans think that Bama, with what they've done throughout the entire year, will beat a freshman quarterback by a touchdown or more. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of argue that beating teams by an average of thirty-seven points in your final nine games is pretty good, and you probably shouldn't be a touchdown underdog. Who had the uh, highest average uh, margin of victory the entire season? 
Did, not did just Clemson end up? Games. No, it was Alabama, 31.5. What was Clemson's final? I don't know. I didn't look it up. <laughs> I could be misquoting this. <laughs> yeah, it was wasn't as good. I know that. It was after, you know, after Trevor Lawrence goes down in the Syracuse game, which was the last game of September, and then they won nine straight by an average of 37 points. They won each game by 20 points during that stretch. That was my point. They obviously did not play the same quality of opponents that Alabama did during that stretch, but... Yeah, I mean, all their players were all drugged up the whole time. That's the kind of program they got. That's a joke, guys. Uh, Clemson's was 30.6, so way far away from the 31.5 of Alabama. (laughs) Not nearly as good. Let's do some over unders. We've got ten of these to get to real quick, and I'll I'll ask you these, and you can just you you answer all of them. You are the expert, Uncle Chris. How many times are we going to hear Hunter Renfro's age reference? I set the over under at six point five. At the game during the broadcast, it'll be under, but on social media, it'll it's it's already over. Oh no, yeah, not not on social media. These are all for the broadcast. Oh yeah, it'll be under. It'll be under. Wow, I, I think. Chris Fowler, every single time he gets the ball, is going to say something about his age because... Look at I that. Really what a three-yard dig route by Hunter Renfro. The kid is just gritty, really, really under underrated athlete. I'm old enough to remember when Hunter Renfro was not able to catch a forward pass because it hadn't been discovered yet. It is, yeah. be thrown it, is, it is weird that Renfro was the big brother to Dabo, like in the fraternity they were both in. I will say pretty that. amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, all right. How many side-by-side comparisons of Dabo and Saban are we going to get? I set the over-under at 2.5. I'm going to say it's it'll be exactly three. Before the game, probably like maybe in the first quarter, but definitely at the end of the game too, especially okay, if Clemson wins. I'm, I'm glad your thought process went there because that, that's what I was thinking, that you're going to have to look at some point at, at the end of the game of what the title game means for both both coaches, obviously, and where where they stand next to Keep each other, mind, Connor, especially at Dabo. Spot wins. on with these, like these over unders you, you come up with are like really legit. Thank you, thank You're you. Welcome. Maybe I should maybe I should start making them for a certain gambling website that we do advertising for. But hey, no free ads. Well, don't leave the podcast today. We all know I can't host it. So. <laughs> um, how many references to the BCS are we going to get? I set the over under at one point five. Probably over. I don't know. That's a weird one. I say that because it's going to be brought up from Clemson and Alabama's dominance in that we have this playoff era where it's four teams and two teams have been so dominant throughout. And are we going to get to a point in this game where, um, you know, especially if it's especially if it's a blowout where all of a sudden, you know, Herbstreit can get on these roles where he starts talking about the system and he starts talking yeah. about whether or not two teams is right, four teams is right. I think I think the over on that might actually make more sense. And right. they're going to bring up the fact that Clemson and Bama have been so dominant during the playoff era. Because they've only, they only played once in the BCS era. Right, but no. So not, not necessarily flashbacks, but like, you know, because the BCS rewards the two best teams in the country. And this system has had right. the same two best teams in the country three of the last four years. That's why I say that. All right. This might, I might have gone a little high on this. Yeah, point. what is this? How many shots of Dexter Lawrence on the sidelines are we going to get? They showed yeah, like him, him a doing t- shots of steroids. No, no, okay. no, no. I knew you'd go there. They showed him a ton during the Cotton Bowl. A lot. Yeah. I, like way more than I thought they would for a suspended player. I didn't even think he'd be on the sidelines. I don't know you, you could do that. But yeah. I think they're, if he's there, they're going to show him a ton. A better question would have been, and this, this is good, and I'm kidding about the steroid thing, guys. I'm 100% kidding about that. Um, what would have been a better question is who is shown more, Jalen Hurts or Dexter Lawrence? Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think if it, it 
my gut says Dexter Lawrence. Because if he's there on the sidelines rocking a hoodie, every single time Bama yeah. b- breaks a big running play, they're going to be like, hey, Dexter Lawrence could have stopped him. Really missing Dexter Lawrence right about ESPN now. ESPN should just do like one of those film rooms like they do with like the old or like even current coaches, like breaking down the game, like on ESPN U for the, they're doing that. the Giants. They should just do one with, with, uh, with Jalen and, and him. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, I would watch that. I would watch that. I definitely would. Um, yeah. By the way, I didn't bring that up during the when we were talking about the you know the all the ticket prices and stuff like that. They have made the fan experience of staying at home and watching this game so great. You could watch this game on like four different channels. You could any which way you want to watch this. And if even if you just want to mix it up for ten minutes, if you're getting bored, you can sit at the comfort of your own home and do it. And you could stream it anywhere. And yeah. I just. The that, that probably should being there is still cool. So let yeah. my friend a shout out on that. But it's it's like you getting there is. It don't cost me two thousand dollars to go to my couch. They better have Herm Edwards on that uh, that coach's oh, thing again. Man. He was he was real good. After we called him out a little bit, you know, go figure that that Herm was apparently awesome. You know um, all right, over under for passing yards, with Trevor Lawrence. I set the over under at three hundred. I'm gonna say under. Because I think they'll be able to run the football better than than throw it with ETN. But keep in mind that if Clemson falls behind in this game, they're going to throw the ball. I mean, I they're, they're yeah. not afraid to throw the ball with him. Okay. I don't think they're going to get behind by a lot. So you think Clemson's going to win this game? We're, we'll, we'll talk about it in a All right, let's just go right into it then. Uh, rushing yards for Travis ETN. I set the over-under at 110. Keep in mind, this is somebody that has averaged eight yards a carry this year. He's been awesome. So, I'm gonna say over because I think he'll he might break a big one um, at some point in the game that goes like okay. 60 plus something like that. I can see that happening. Um, so I'll say over. I don't think he's gonna be breaking off eight yard yards of carry at all. I, do, I definitely don't see that happening. Um, but I think he'll have a, a decent game. He's a really underrated back. You also missed the Tua Tua touchdown. No, I was I was gonna get to that, but I was okay, transitioning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll say I'll say over, but not by like a crazy amount. I just had like this really weird vision in my head of Chris Fowler yelling, ETN! And when he's like breaking a 65 yard run or something like that. That was a good Fowler. Thank you. Thank you. You need to get Mac Brown in there trying to pronounce his name. (laughs) Good God. Oh, Mac Brown. I hope that works out for him. All right. Over under for two touchdown passes. I set it at 3.5. I'm going to say under. I think it'll be at three. I think it'll be at three. Okay. Do you think who? Okay, little impromptu one. Who has more touchdown passes, Trevor Lawrence or Tua? I think it's going to be either a push or Tua. Okay. I don't but see you Trevor don't Lawrence, Lawrence lining up in a second. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's do carries for Josh Jacobs. This is interesting in itself because there are a lot of dynamics at play here, and that's carries, not just touches. I have the over under set at thirteen. So just for like rushing carries. Just rushing carries. I'm gonna say under, because he got he got 15 split. in the Orange Bowl. 15. Yeah, he had 20 against Mississippi State. I just think they, I don't think they're gonna be able to establish the run as well as they think they are. Um, I think they're gonna have to bring in a more like not a more physical back because Jacobs is very physical. I think they're gonna use him in space more in terms of throwing him out of the backfield. I think Najee uh, will have a better game in between the tackles. So I will say under 13 carries. I've had this theory with with Bama for the second half of the season that Josh Jacobs is the guy that they put in when they actually need to like do stuff and that he's the guy that they trust more to get up like a you know you need to pick up a first down you need to do something like that Set whereas like on the edge 
Yeah, Damian Harris and 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 obviously Najee Harris, who have you know they're tremendously talented. They're former five star recruits, yeah. um, but, but I think that they're playing more in these roles where it's comfortable and you think it's going to be a, you know you think it's going to be a pass and it's you can kind of sneak them in a little bit more. But when it's like all right, we need yards right now. Josh Jacobs is the guy that they turn to. I think he ends up getting over thirteen in this game. See, he's only had more than thirteen once this or twice this season. I know, but. The, yeah. the games that, that that it did happen were very significant games when they couldn't get the offense going. They, you know, had I'm going to bet on all these, so you better be spot on with this. Going to the I next know. one. Let's go. Missed Alabama kicks. I have the over under at one point five. I don't even know why. I, one, I, I don't know. It's why just I kicks in general. Now, um, just kicks in general, not just extra points, but just kicks overall. That's all encompassing. I said that word right. Sick brag to me. Yeah, it was fifth times a charm. That was a that was a tough one. I will say. Over. Over. Because I, I feel like the conditions aren't going to be very good. Great point. Great point. Um, Will, they're so they're going to miss the two kicks. Bam's yeah. going to miss two kicks. Wow. Gosh, I would love I to get a video already. shot. I need to get a video shot of you after every Bama miss kick. <laughs> Do we <laughs> Last, <need> one. <laughs> Last one. The over-under for Nick Saban crying with Tom Rinaldi. I set the over-under at .5. In other words... Are we going to see Nick Saban bust into tears with Tom Rinaldi? What say you? Uh, I don't think we will. I think the only way he would cry um, after this game is if they won by like a very close margin. Um, like last year? Yeah. Also, it's a 70% chance of rain. So if you can bet on that prop bet for the missed field goals, do it. <laughs> do yep. it a lot. Um, you are on to something. God dang it. It's going to be miserable. I'm going to be so sweaty still and just, I'm going to look like Coach O. Uh, I will say, I will say under, and I will tell you why when we get into our predictions for the game. I'm going to let you go first, though. Will you cry if they win the national championship? I've been super emotional recently. I don't think I'll cry if they win. At least I like teared up watching Jalen a little bit because it was so cool to watch Jalen achieve that. Um, and also, I knew what was going to unfold if Bama didn't win with how loud I'd been in that section full of Georgia fans. So that was a happy, happy tears. Um, I, I don't think I will, but I do not want it filmed. And okay. I hope if it's raining, that'll look good for me. Yeah. That'll, oh, yeah, it's just the rain. It's totally just the rain. Let's get to our predictions. You've been hedging this entire time. I, I know that you're going to pick Clemson to win this game. I, I just know you. So let's just get it out of the way. So I really like what you said about the fact that when you, when you come into a game and you are battle-tested, and we talked about this in the last pod about where you've been in tough games, close situations, stuff like that, it's something that I don't think the 2016 Bama team was able to benefit from, and it kind of yep. cost them in the long run. Um, I, I am a firm believer in all that. I really am. Um, what was it Mike Tyson used to always say? Everyone's tough until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan. Everyone's got a plan. So, yeah. 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 so I, I, I like that and, and in terms of Bama being able to come out here and having that in their back pocket and that kind of experience. You know, they've obviously been here before, just like Clemson has, and they don't have a freshman quarterback. That being said, man, you keep I still bringing go, that up. I still, you yeah, keep bringing he's that a up. freshman. He's eight. You want to hear old. a quick stat? Want to hear a quick stat? Pro Let's Football see. Focus had Trevor Lawrence as making the fewest mistakes of any quarterback in the country. I'm just saying. Well, that was just a stat. Fewest mistakes? Yeah, they, they chart mistakes. Mistake number one, bro. Boom, roasted. If you I, could grow hair like that, you would too. He's, on, let's be Con- Connor, he's really good. But this game, like we're saying, is I think going to be a lot closer than any of the games he played in late in the year. And he might have to go out and win it. And he's 18 years old. 19 now. He 
he had his 19th birthday um, on the same day. I think they beat Georgia Tech that day. I, think, I don't know. Maybe? Either way, anyway. he's he's a young kid, and he hasn't played this kind of team and this kind of defense. I think that's going to factor in, and I understand he's a good quarterback. I'm not taking any of that away. I, I think that's going to factor in at some point. Um, regardless, the last time I saw an Alabama team where they were not able to, I don't want to say force their will uh, or impose their will, but not kind of stick to their game plan because they were taken out of their, their game plan by being disrupted up front and having the O-line get pushed around a little bit was the 2016 National Championship game. Clemson won that game, obviously, with one second to go. I, Bama, I feel like, is good enough to win this game. They're one of the most talented teams I've ever seen play for, you know, like in the history of Alabama football. I think Clemson wins. I think Clemson's able to come out there with uh, a better mentality in terms of they are they are a huge underdog, and they can kind of play that role. And that defensive line is going to cause fits for Tua and that offensive line for most of the day. And I'm just going to say it once again. I think Tua's soft, and if he is taken out of his element where he's not able to gain some confidence and get some throws done like down the field early and, and kind of go into the, the flow of the game with that confidence, he's very fragile, and I don't think that he – mentally, I don't think he's going to be able to do the same things he's done for most of the season. I think it's going to look a lot like the Georgia game. Mr. Hedger, give me your final score. Clemson, 34, Bama, 30. I'm sorry, Bama, 31. Interesting. Not surprised in the least bit. I am going Bama, 42, Clemson, 38. I think it's a great game. I think it's an awesome game. I think it's much like the 2015 game in which, shout out Jake Coker, um, who helped fuel Bama, and, you know, the Derrick Henry guy was pretty good, I guess, for whatever. He was okay. Um, he was all right. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be a great down-to-the-wire game. I'm excited for it. I think these quarterbacks, and I wrote this right after the Orange Bowl, I think that getting to watch these quarterbacks, two high-profile guys who are going to make a ton of money at the next level and who are really these incredible talents that we're going to get to see go back and forth, this is kind of the first year that we've had this in this rivalry. And you can go back to last year where, you know, Jalen Hurts and Kelly Bryant are starting in this game. And that's not to say that they're not – extremely talented, but just in terms of throwing the ball over the place, they're not those guys. And right. how quickly it was that we've moved on from this narrative, this this narrative after 2016 with Clemson, which was, can Dabo win with an order, another, another quarterback who isn't Deshaun Watson? And I think that he has answered that question so well to go 26-2 and two to get to this point. And I think that we're going to see it so much from Trevor Lawrence, and I've really bought into what he's been able to do. I think he'll impress a lot of people, and I do think the Patrick Sertan thing is a weakness that he's going to try and take advantage of. Even though he was really good in the regular season, I think that he kind of got exposed a little bit, the inexperience against Oklahoma. But I do think that Bama is able to prevail late in this game, and I think it comes down to Tua's confidence. I think Tua feels good down the stretch, and he puts together an incredible drive to maybe have a go-ahead touchdown, something like that, where he hits Jerry Judy deep in the back of the end zone, something like that. But I think Bama wins this game. I think it's thrilling. I think that we end up, everybody ends up watching it, and it ends up being one of those games that, um, you know, it's just another great chapter for this rivalry. So you will be in San Fran on Monday. San that Clara. means. Santa Clara, San Fran, I know that it's different, but it's Gold kind of jacket, all the same green everybody jacket. in this area. Yeah. That means that we will not be recording another podcast until Tuesday. When are you flying out on Tuesday? I'm not going to get back until uh, Wednesday morning at like 12 a.m. Oh. Yeah. Can you bring your stuff with you on Tuesday and we'll record Tuesday? This is some on-the-fly planning that we're going to do. Um, I will look at it. I'm pretty sure we could probably do it Tuesday morning. 
All right. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. I think the, the the people need a little Tuesday. They need like some some hangover Marler from that game. Either I, uh, way. First of all, I've been very responsible as of late, besides the Orange very Bowl. Very responsible. Also, we've done a lot better when I have not been hungover the next day. True. So, a lot of water for Chris, maybe. Very, very true. Let's close with it might mean too much. Um, this is something that I, I just don't get. It's Steve Spurrier is still trolling Georgia whenever he can. And he ends up... so. Going into the the Sugar Bowl, he was getting inducted into the Sugar Bowl Hall of Fame, and before the game, he told Dog Post, he said, heading to the Sugar Bowl to watch the puppies beat up on the Longhorns, Georgia should win by two or three TDs. So that's, you know, trolling in itself, and that's, you know, whatever. That's that's typical Spurrier. And then at the game, he does the Gator Chomp when he's getting inducted, and Georgia fans boo him and boo him and boo him. And in the middle of that game... I'm sure there was some not-so-great words said from Georgia fans. Not to assume things, but when your team is losing and you're not feeling too great, last thing you want is to be trolled. My question is, isn't it amazing that Steve Spurrier, given what he is, is kind of the unofficial like mascot of the SEC in many ways? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He, he still trolls so many SEC schools whenever he gets a chance. Still trolls LSU, and maybe some of it's like a you know a, a Dos Equis ad with less miles and Dos we really Equis don't know. Ad. But he still trolls every SEC school whenever he can. And Steve Spurrier is the epitome of it might mean too much because he is still so entrenched with all, with the exception of South Carolina, obviously. He still has his allegiance to South Carolina and he still has some sort of random title with, you know, I, I don't know, relations or something like that in the Florida Athletic Department. And he's doing the whole coaching thing down here in Orlando with the new football league. But he's still, at whatever chance he gets, somebody at his age, somebody who's accomplished so much, will do whatever he can to troll a rival. And to me, that is just peak SEC. No, you, you don't. You just don't see somebody that does what he does on a consistent basis yeah. to just sort of jab at a rival. I that's, love it. I mean, that's, yeah, it's a life that I think we'd all want to lead. Um, and, he, and he's like a more successful Lane Kiffin. And I think that, honestly, is why we need Kiffin to come to the SEC at some point and, uh, and be here for a while. So, also, we're gonna, I'm going to give you one breaking news story that just happened. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Um, that I had in my back pocket from, from the inside, but... We complain about Imagine Dragons, all that stuff. It's canceled? No. From my good oh. friend, Maria Vitale, the producer of the Halftime Show. Keep in mind, she's not, she's not picking these uh, the bands or acts, but they have added Lil Wayne to the Halftime Show. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I mean, we won't that. be able to understand him, but, you know, that's that's much better than Imagine Dragons. You could put... I. See, we'll be able they're to still Lil too Wayne. close to me. Well, yeah, I mean, he's in a live concert? Have you, oh. have you heard him in a live concert? It's tough to understand. Uh, I don't think I made it to his live concert because I uh, had too much of the tailgate. That's a real thing that happened. 2013. Moving on. Concert gate. You're saying there that it is. Everything. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we will read five star reviews on Tuesday. Give us if you're sitting there during the national championship instead of watching Imagine Dragons. Here's a little challenge to you. Give us a five star review. Put the TV on mute and just say you know what. Talk to us about Imagine Dragons with a five star review, and we will read it on the podcast next Tuesday. Make sure that you are watching Facebook Live. What are you doing Facebook Live this, did this it, weekend? Did it last night. Uh, actually, ironically enough, somebody with the last name Tabasco gave me one of the um, best creatively worded insults ever. I'm not going to get into it because it was very aggressive. Um, but we did it last night. Had a lot of fun with that. We're going to do it Monday live from the stadium, Santa Clara. Nice. That would right. be really good. And it maybe if Bam was you know, in the minute away from clinching a national championship, potentially, you will go live. We'll see. Hopefully the internet situation is good there. Hopefully you don't spend an arm and a leg trying to operate around the bay. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the STS Pod. 
at cmarlowsds, at CJ O'Gara. If you're a UCF punter, chirp us. If you're Tyler Chris, send us a DM. We'll get you on the pod. We'll, we'll have that interview. We'll talk picks. Uh, thank you for everybody for listening. For everybody who's listened throughout the entire year, it's been so much fun. We didn't Don't really do get this to yet. Don't I'm wrap sorry. it up yet. We'll do I'm it sorry. on I'm Tuesday. Not, all right, we'll wrap it up on Don't. Tuesday. Coach O, what do we need to remember until then? It might mean too much. Talk to you Tuesday. Ah!